welcome to the Norfolk Heritage Centre podcast. This week, local genealogist Elizabeth Budd talks about DNA testing, how genetic genealogy works and what it can tell us and what it can't. Don't forget to subscribe and share. Happy listening! Um, so what it does effectively 
um, is mixed science and what you might call traditional genealogy. Um, so this is the science bit, but that doesn't mean that there wouldn't be a need later to look at birth, marriage and death, to look at census, to look at tide maps, etc. The test is useful for finding out the strength of a relationship, the level of a relationship. What it might not do is say on this particular generation is where your connection is, but it might give you a rough idea. It might, conversely, rule out um, a relationship you thought was there. Um, one thing that's always good to be aware of before you take um, one of these tests is the truth might come out. There is always a risk um, that when you get your results back, you don't turn out to be related to the people that you think you are, at least by blood, um, or that you've got another close relative out there that you didn't know existed. So that can happen, um, and it's worth keeping in mind. Um, the test might, as we've said, indicate your deep ancestry, um, going back perhaps to the roots of a surname, um, or even an ancient migration of um, Homo sapiens. And last time around, I said it's a new-ish tool for genealogy. It's slightly less new than it was four years ago, but it's definitely far more popular and I think far more accessible to more people at this time than it was four years ago. Um, I do make a distinction there between genealogists and family historians. Genealogy, if you're very strict about it, is purely blood relationships, biological relationships. I see family history as a much wider topic than that. So if you've got perhaps adoptees in your family tree, that's your family history, but that's not going to come out on a genetic test. Okay, so what to keep in mind. It won't solve every brick wall, but it might help you solve some brick walls. It won't provide an exact relationship or give you a specific date. It won't say so-and-so was married at a particular date. That's not held in your DNA. That's held in the paper trail. There are ethical questions to consider, and you need to be comfortable with taking part. I would definitely urge you to have a look at the terms and conditions on this site. What are they doing with your personal data? By law, your genetic code is now personal data, and what they do with it is very important for you to understand. And taking a test and not sharing your results won't get you very far. If you want to find people you're related to, find connections on their family tree, you need to share that with other people. Not everybody is comfortable with that. The tests aren't cheap. I think they're probably more accessible than they were, um, but because they are an investment, it's worth having a look at all the different companies first and then making your decision. So, moving on a little bit into how these work, um, we'll think a bit about inheritance. Just in case you're wondering, that little blurry two-year-old child there is me, with my <laughs> on my dad's shoulders, and um, with my extended family there. Um, my granddad was one of six brothers, there were many, many of them <laughs> at one time. Um, each one of us, sitting in this room, shares 99.9% .9 of our DNA with everybody else in this room. We also share an enormous amount with a banana. <laughs> so we're not interested in that side of the DNA because it's not going to show how related you are to anybody else. <clears throat> what we're interested in for genealogy is the 0.01% where we differ, the bits that make us all different to each other. And the reason that that's different is because that DNA is more prone to mutations or evolution, however you want to look at it. So when it's copied, there's more of a chance that those things will change. And what we're looking for in genetic genealogy is how different you are to everybody else, not how similar you are to everybody else, which is what a medical DNA test would probably do. That would be looking to see whether you are the same as some marker that they're aware of that indicates a particular disease, for instance. That's not what genetic genealogy does. Okay. Each one of us is made up lots and lots of cells. Each cell has a nucleus in the middle, except red blood cells, and it has mitochondria around the edge. Like this. <laughs> it's my beautiful drawings. I apologise <laughs> in advance, but that way they're copyright free, so I can use them. Um, within the nucleus, in here, um, we have 23 pairs of chromosomes. 
22 of which are called autosomes, and that's where the autosomal test comes in, and one pair of sex chromosomes, which are either XX for a woman or XY for a man. Those chromosomes are all packaged up very tightly together around some proteins that hold them steady. Um, and bits of that DNA together are known as genes. There's an awful lot of jargon there. For that reason, I have put together a handout where you can go away and look at some websites that will have definitions of all these different terms. And um, we've got a lot to cover through this morning. So while I want to mention the important things, I don't want to dwell on the bits that are perhaps um, less useful for the topic today. Um, so this is what you might think of chromosomes looking like. And you can see that the top 22 there are roughly similar, so they come in pairs. You would get one of those from your mother and one from your father. Because yes, we're interested in inheritance, but we do only get 50% from each parent, because if we got 100% from each parent, we'd have twice as much DNA as the generation before, and a lot more than the generation before that, and so on. Um, so yes, we're interested in the DNA we keep hold of, but also remember that lots is shared as the generations go on too. And this, you'll be very familiar, I'm sure, with what DNA actually looks like, um, the diagram on there. Um, you may remember DNA stands for deoxyribonucleic acid, um, which is tightly curled up around those proteins. It's effectively the code that makes up you. Now the thing that's essential um, for what you inherit is something called recombination. So to make sure that you don't get twice as much DNA as you need, what will happen is that your mother in her cells has got lots of pairs of autosomes. At some point those autosomes will come together and you can think of them as wrapping around each other. And during that process, bits of them swap with each other. It's a very simplistic way of putting it. Um, so they recombine and you get one bit perhaps from one half of the pair and other bits from the other half of the pair. And it's um, a process that doesn't happen the same way every time, which is why you and a sibling might look completely different because you get very different parts of your mother's DNA and your father's DNA. So for 22 and a half pairs of your chromosomes, this is what happens. There is, of course, an exception to this, and that is the Y chromosome, um, which only the chaps have. And we'll come to that a little bit later. So if you imagine you are the child at the bottom in this picture, you can see that one of the chromosome pair there is made up of red bits and orange bits, because your mother had one red and one orange. Again, quite a simplistic way of putting it. The same on your father's side. So far, relatively simple. But of course that happens on every single generation. So the further back you go, the smaller the pieces of information that you're going to share with your great-grandparents, with your great-great-grandparents and so on. And that's why these tests for autosomal um, purposes tend to be accurate somewhere around six to seven generations. So we don't go all the way back um, to William the Conqueror with this type of test. So here we come to the exception the Y chromosome is a lot smaller than the X chromosome. So what normally would happen is both of them would come together, wrap themselves up, swap bits of them over. That can't happen with an X and Y because they're, they're not similar enough to do that. So a father passes his Y chromosome directly to his sons unchanged. They don't recombine at all. He does the same with his daughters who just get his X With your mother, that doesn't happen because she's an XX and they can come together and swap bits of their DNA around. Okay. Which brings us to the Y-DNA test. Um, this is one of the oldest tests on the market. It's only open to men because only men have got Y chromosome. Ladies, if you've got a brother or a father or a paternal uncle, they can take the test for you so you can still find out a little bit about your family line. Because it passes very unchanged, or very almost unchanged, from generation to generation, that Y chromosome is a very, very stable link back through time. 
So um, my son and my husband have the same Y chromosome effectively. They also have the same Y chromosome as my husband's father, my husband's father's father, and so on back into history. Now as it happens in this country, we tend to pass surnames down that same line. So it's very, very common to find surname projects which are based on Y-DNA because in theory, the surname and that particular Y chromosome have gone together for a very long period of time. Um, and there, there's quite a strong link there with one-name studies. So if anybody here has a one-name study or looks at one-name study websites, you'll often find people studying a particular surname will have to be a name <coughs> group. Um, I have the one-name study for Walm. It's not something we've done yet, but it is something that really intrigues me because there are two Walm populations in the country. One of them is around Pullen Market. The other one is the Ribble Valley up in Lancashire. Did it arise separately in both of those locations? Or a long time ago, was there one man who had two sons and one went in each direction? And why testing of the various populations still alive might give us the answers to that. So here we are, child to father to father to father, or other son at the bottom. These are the people we're investigating with a Y-DNA test. Now, the way that you would get these results back, this is very simplified, so I can point out how these work, is that you look at a variety of markers on a Y chromosome. Each one of those, you're given um, a number or a number and a letter that says that is the piece of DNA that you have at that point, and that's something they compare to other men. So, at the top here, we've got um, Kit 1, Mr. Bloomfield, and Kit 2, another Mr. Bloomfield, and there's lots of those in these parts. They actually have the same number on almost every single marker along there, but the last one is different. So there's only one difference between them. That will give you an idea of how closely related those two men are. But this third person here, Mr. Blomfield, just a slightly different spelling variant. You might think, well, at some point the spelling varied, but they could still be related. He's actually got five places where there's completely different markers. So he, if he is related at all, um, he's much further distant to those first two. But lastly, Mr. Blumenfeld at the bottom, he is exactly the same as Kit 1. So he's actually quite a close relative at the top. So that's how these DNA tests work, or DNA tests at the most basic level. Um, I mentioned briefly earlier how they're connected with surname studies. These are the most Norfolk names you can get in the 1881 census. You've probably got some of those in your tree. I've certainly got Warns and Coleman. Um, for example, the Rallisons here at the top, if you were to pick one Rallison at random from the 1881 census, he's 57 times more likely to be in Norfolk than anywhere else in the UK. So that's a very, very Norfolk name. Um, and this type of research um, can be brought in to one name studies and DNA studies to find out where they originate, perhaps. Nowadays, if you do a Y-DNA test, you're most likely to be looking at 67 or 111 markers, many more than you would have done in the past. Um, I had a quick look online and we're still talking over £100 for a Y-DNA test. Most of those are done through Family Tree DNA, but there are other companies available out there as well. Um, not all of those names we've just seen will have a study already existing. There may be no reason why you can't set one up if you wanted to, to have a look um, at those surnames. Um, projects aren't just limited to names though. Um, one of the biggest projects is the Scottish DNA project. Also there are projects out there for um, Jewish communities, for instance. Um, so have a look, see what you're interested in, geographical projects, name projects, whatever it might be. There's somewhere in the region of 10,000 projects already in existence through Family Tree DNA. So um, so we're going to move forward now onto autosomal testing. So we're not looking here at your XY chromosomes, your XX chromosomes. 
we're looking across the whole spectrum of your 22 pairs of autosomal chromosomes, which are the ones that match up with each other. This, it's fair to say now, is the most common type of testing. So if you've done an ancestry DNA test, for example, um, you've done an autosomal test. If you've done a family finder through family tree DNA, um, DNA relatives at 23andMe, um, then you've done an autosomal DNA test. This, I'm sure you've noticed, is stitched together. Um, they're not all standing in a row, but I stitched together for these purposes uh, because these are my grandparents on both sides. So we're looking now across the spectrum of the family tree. So what this is going to do is look at literally hundreds of thousands of points on your autosomal DNA and compare you to other people in that database. To give you a bit of an idea about the explosion in testing um, like this, Ancestry, last time I did the talk, hadn't even entered the DNA market. They must have been thinking about it, but in this country it didn't exist. Um, in 2015, they made that move and they opened up um, DNA testing. In January this year, they announced they've got 3 billion people in their database. In April this year, they announced they've got 4 million. In August this year, they hit 5 million. They now claim to be doing um, ancestry DNA tests as often as a baby is born in the US. Mm -hmm. So we're talking about huge numbers here. Um, compared with the other companies, there's about 2 million at 23andMe and about half a million at Family2 DNA that's based on a blog item um, on the ISOLD wiki, which I've given you the link to. It's a really fantastic site um, to get lots of information. From an autosomal DNA test, you usually will get cousin matches because it can see where you're connected to other people, but very often you'll get what's called an admixture analysis as well. So this is where your ethnicity, if you like, comes in, that you are 23% Scandinavian or 70% Western European, whatever it might be, and that comes in usually on the autosomal side. There we go, we're looking at the whole tree this time. This time around, I'm going to show you some of my results um, from an autosomal test. Um, my family tree, I knew that the vast majority of people over the last several hundred years were born in Norfolk or they were born in Suffolk. So I suppose the first thing it did was back up that research because I, with a 95% confidence level, it says I'm East Anglian. <laughs> so there we go, that's what I've paid for. Um, and it backs up uh, what I thought I already knew. It also tells me that I've got 48 people in the database, that's all this week, because it keeps updating, who are at least four to six cousins. So that's actually not a particularly close relationship, but it's still 48 people that I share parts of my tree with. And if I open up my family tree and they open up their family tree, we might be able to see where that connection is. We might be able to bridge some gaps. We might be able to add branches to each other's trees. Um, my husband, who I persuaded to take a test at the same time as he do, um, had nearly double that. He's got nearly 100 cousins in the same distance. Um, his parents both took a test as well, and they both came back as his parents. <laughs> his sister um, came back with an extremely high confidence level of being his sister. So there we go. Um, but there again is that be prepared for the truth part. Um, somebody asked me yesterday, actually, what if I've done a test? Does that mean my sister or brother's test is going to come back the same? Um, the, the short answer is no. Um, if they're an identical twin, then yes. Um, if they're not an identical twin, then that process of recombination that we came to earlier, you only got 50% from your mother. Your brother or sister might have got the opposite 50% to you. Um, that's the very much the extreme of it. So you do tend to share quite a lot of DNA with your brothers and sisters. Um, but that's why some brothers and sisters look very, very similar, because they happen to get lots of the same bits of DNA, um, and others look completely different, because different parts of the DNA were passed down and expressed. <coughs> the only absolute, really, is that you're going to share 50% with your mum and 50% with your dad. The rest, there's a lot of variation in. Okay, so moving on to the next part of my results, 
This is my ethnicity estimate on the left here. And so I'm 72% Europe West. Uh, now, as far as ancestry is concerned, that's places like Belgium, Germany, Netherlands. Very, very common for someone with East Anglian ancestry because they've all just come straight across the water. And that's what happens in this part of the world. 17% Irish, 7% Great Britain. Um, how they class Great Britain is um, perhaps more Celtic areas, Cornwall, West Coast, things like that. So I'm very much more influenced, and at least in terms of my genetics, from people who've come over from the continent rather than the other way around. And I've got a huge percentage there. I haven't met many people who've got more than 70% in one area, so my ancestors didn't really move around that much. And my husband, on the other hand, completely different. 30% Irish, 23% Europe West, Scandinavia 23%, Great Britain 17%. Um, he fit in with the northern category. Um, so our son, depending on which bits of DNA he inherited, might identify as East Anglian, might identify as northern, probably will be a complete mixture of both. Um, so I'm not allowed to test him because he has to be 18. <laughs> and he's only one, so I've got a little way to go um, until I can do that. Um, it's quite interesting as well on that point of view to look at my husband compared to his parents because yes he has DNA that suggests he's from those regions and so do his parents and you can sort of see which parent it's come from but it's not as simple as adding together his mum and dad's Irish percentage and dividing it by two again because of that recombination of which bits he's inherited. Um, one other thing it's important to say actually about this is if you take your results out of one company and upload them into another one, because they are backed up by different databases, different universities, different research, you may well get a very different percentage result from another company. So it's worth bearing that in mind when you look at it. And also the science keeps moving forward, so they might change the boundaries of where these lines are, and the percentages might go up and down a little bit. Now one thing that they're keen for you to do is find cousins in this database so that you can build your trees together. I've blanked out the names of these people, um, there isn't usually that big blue line across there, um, but you can see at the top there, possible fourth to sixth cousin confidence high. And what you'll see with a lot of them is that nobody shares a family tree. And a lot of people will get upset about that, and you can see why they've done a test, they want to compare their tree to someone else's. But I think the simple explanation quite a lot of the time is that these people have taken a test before they've even thought about writing a family tree um, and researching a family tree in that way. Um, so you will find some who've got public family trees, but not everybody. Another thing that we'll do is highlight if someone has published their family tree, which surnames in it are the same as the surnames in yours, to try and make it a little bit easier to find out where your connection might be. And um, the image you can see on the screen there is the map and location option. So my ancestors were born in all the places marked with blue, at least the ones that I've got in the tree so far. The other person, um, they are orange, and the green ones are villages in which we both had an ancestor born. So they might be um, places where that connection has come in. Of course, they might be complete red herrings, and we both happen to be East Anglia, and East Anglia is large, but it's not that large, and so very likely you could have people in those villages um, and not the same ones. And um, one thing that you can do, as I already mentioned there, is download your information out of some of the testing companies, like Ancestry, and upload it into another one. So what I've done here is taken my Ancestry results and imported it into Family Tree DNA. That gives you a different list of people. Um, some of them will be in both databases because like me, they've shared their data across the two. Um, but there was a new one in here right at the top of the list who was um, somewhere between fourth and sixth cousin again. Um, and he shared quite a lot um, of genetic history with me over quite a large section. And he had put his tree in. So I can have a look at his tree and almost straight away I noticed some names that I recognised. So it seemed like a fairly good chance that he really was my cousin. 
got a lady in there called Lavinia Potter, whose parents are Charles Potter and Anne Jar Jarrett. My great-great-great-great-grandmother is Laura Potter, Lavinia's sister. So what that's done, probably, is back up the paper trail, because my paper trail says that I'm related to those people, his paper trail says he's related to those people, and our DNA tests have come back and said, yes, you share 66 centimorgans with each other, so that's probably why we've got that linkage. I'm going to include the X test for completeness, but we're not going to dwell on it because it's not used for genetic genealogy that much. We mentioned briefly earlier that a father passes his Y chromosome pretty much unchanged to his son, and passes his X chromosome pretty much unchanged to his daughter. So that's where this comes in. And it's a much more complicated pattern um, because if you imagine this is me at the bottom here, I got an X chromosome from my father and an X chromosome from my mother. So far, so good. But my father didn't get any of his X chromosome from his father. He only got a Y chromosome. So that must have come from his mother. Does that make sense? So half of that generation. Whereas on the other side, my mum got an X from her dad and from her mother as well. So working back through the generations, each generation, less people in that generation are going to be connected to the X chromosome. So it's out there, you can get that test, but it's not used for genealogy so often. It's a bit of a testing logic if you get to that one. So coming back to my beautiful picture of a cell here, everything so far has been to do with the chromosomes in the nucleus in the middle there. But the last test we're going to talk about today is mitochondrial DNA. That comes from these little red bits here, which are the mitochondria. They are, if you like, the powerhouses of a cell. They do the aerobic respiration, um, if you remember that from your biology lessons. They take in nutrients, they break them down, they create energy-rich um, molecules for that cell to work from. As it happens, they also have some DNA in them, so that's where it fits with genetic genealogy. Um, my wedding day was a bit windy, hence <laughs> the wind there, um, but this is a photograph of me with both of my grandmothers. Um, the way that mitochondrial DNA is passed down the family is that you always get it from your mother. Absolutely everybody has mitochondrial DNA, but it always comes from your mother. This is my mother's mother, so I share my mitochondrial DNA with her. I don't share it with my dad's mum. He shares it with his mum, but he can't pass it on to his children, so it effectively stopped with his generation. So you share your mitochondrial DNA with all your brothers and sisters, with your mother, with all her brothers and sisters um, and half-siblings if they share a mother and so on. But every time there's a man, it stops. Um, so when you go back through your pedigree chart, this time it's mother to mother to mother to mother. Um, mitochondrial DNA changes so little over time that it's particularly used for um, deep ancestry, so for a long way back. It can be used for genetic genealogy, particularly if you have a whole sequence done, um, but it's only going to be people who are related on that one line, um, and it can be a little bit harder to see where your most recent common ancestor is, just because it changes so frequently. Um, not all of the companies offer this test, um, Family Tree DNA do offer this one still. And when we say deep ancestry, we really do mean deep. <laughs> In some cases here, um, it changes that slowly. Um, the chart that you can see on the screen here is from mitochondrial Eve, um, who you can think of as the mother of everybody, and um, the haplogroups coming out of Africa and all over the rest of the world. So going back that far, um, quite often um, it's mitochondrial DNA. So coming now to perhaps the most famous use of genetic genealogy in recent years, 
Um, you'll recognise probably the person in the picture there as Richard III, uh, more commonly known these days as the king in the car park. Um, last time I did this talk, they had done the mitochondrial DNA, if you like, the mother's line. They hadn't done the Y DNA, which is the father's line. So we're going to have a little look now at um, the process and what the results were um, from those tests with the skeleton, which at the time they couldn't say for certain was Richard III. Now the University of Leicester website says it's 99.999% certain that this is Richard III. They're fairly sure about it now. Um, for those of you uh, that don't know, Richard III didn't have surviving children, so they had to go back a generation to do lots of this. Even if he had have had children, he was a man, he couldn't pass on his mitochondrial DNA to his children. That would have come from his wife um, or um, the mother of any illegitimate children that he had. So what they had to do was look back to his mother, who was Cecily Neville, and follow her family tree downwards. So looking first at the female side, they would have looked at Cecily Neville which daughters did she have? And this is all traditional research, looking in the paperwork, looking in the memorial records, whatever else it might have been, to find out his sisters first, then their daughters, their daughters, and their daughters, all the way down to try and find some people who are living today that share the mitochondrial DNA of Richard III. Um, and it's many, many years, and those of you that have done traditional genealogy will know that parish registers didn't even start until 1538. Um, so we're lucky he's a king, really, because there's more information written down. Um, of course, that doesn't still make it easy quite often with the legitimate births, because they weren't recorded in the same way, necessarily. Um, and, as you will probably know from the media, they did work all the way forward and found two people, Michael Ibsen and Wendy Daldick, who are now quite famous people, um, who are alive today and um, gave the DNA of their own to be tested against this skeleton. Luckily, there are so many copies of your mitochondrial DNA, because there's lots of these in all of your cells, that it's the most likely DNA to remain in a skeleton in ancient remains. So there was quite a lot of it that they could retrieve um, in order to find out about the skeleton before they compared it to somebody else. And I'm sure you also know, um, because it was a big news story at the time, that they did find that Michael and Wendy were a perfect or near-perfect match to the person that they dug up in that car park, which does suggest that all of them were related within a genealogical time span. So it's quite powerful stuff, but you have to link it to the traditional research to get the most out of it. I think that's key there. So going to the Y-DNA now, trying to find men who still carry the same Y chromosome as Richard III. Again, no living descendants, so we can't trace through Richard's children to his sons and their sons and their sons and so on. The researchers actually had to go back all the way to Edward III. He lived from 1312 to 1377, and um, they did go forward and find some people. Um, without wanting to get too indelicate here, it's usually quite obvious who the mother of a child is. <laughs> because up until relatively recently, if she gave birth to a child, it was most likely her biological child. Um, what the record makers don't necessarily know about is who got her pregnant in the first place. And for that reason, Y-DNA can be a little bit more difficult to prove. People did cover up paternity, or people had secrets that were never uncovered at the time. And because all it takes is one father not to be who you think it is for a completely different Y chromosome to enter the arena, there are lots of opportunities um, for the Y chromosome to change completely. So even before they started, they knew there was a risk that they might not find a match this time around. And that gets even harder if you're trying to trace the legitimate lines, particularly going back centuries. Anyway, going back to Edward III, they managed to find some lines who hadn't had their head cut off before they had children. And they traced um, forward through John of Gaunt, um, and then through relatives of the Dukes of Beaufort and the Somersets, and they found five people who, according to the paperwork, might have that same Y chromosome. After testing, one of those five didn't match the other four, but they still have four uh, that might match. 
There were 19 generations between Richard III and the fifth Duke of Somerset, and that's where all of these four um, came through the family tree. And actually, their Y chromosome didn't match at all, as, as they suspected. Uh, might be a possibility. Somewhere in that 19 generations, they had what's um, officially called a non-paternal event, <laughs> an MPE, or a false paternity. We don't know where that is. Um, some historians got very excited about this and that it might have influenced them who got the crown and whether the Tudors really should have had the crown and all the rest of it. Um, I must admit, I look at that slightly different and think, actually, the royal family very often hasn't passed from father to son. There's a lot more involved here than genetics. Um, but still, it's interesting. If you want to go and look at that, there's lots of videos online. So they didn't find that match for the Y chromosome. Crucially, though, while they didn't find a match, it wasn't evidence to say the skeleton wasn't Richard III, because there was so much other evidence that pointed to the fact that it was. The maternal line matched. The skeleton was the right age at death. It had the right wounds at death. It was buried somewhere where it was expected to be buried. They could see the diet that he'd had. And that's the reason why they're still convinced that that's who it is, even though the Y-DNA didn't work out. Um, if anyone's wondering why they didn't do an autosomal test, it's because that's mostly accurate for five to seven generations. And we're talking much, much further back than that. So, we've seen that even in a really high-profile case, taking DNA alone is not what um, enables you to further your research, really. What helps you further your research is taking that DNA and comparing it to the paper record, comparing it to all of the other evidence and going forward. So, what a test can do is to give you proof of connections with people with the same surname, prove perhaps that a name changed on a male line. It can give you an idea of where your most recent common ancestor is between you and another person. It can eliminate a branch you thought was connected to you by blood and actually isn't. It can identify cousins and new branches. It can indicate that a family story might be true, but not necessarily prove it. Um, one of the favourites is, I've got Scandinavian DNA, I'm a Viking. It's not quite <laughs> as simple as that. Um, but it makes a lovely story, doesn't it? <laughs> it might hint that somewhere in your ancestry you've got influences there. Um, but this is over so many generations, it's very complicated where marriages come in, where people move from, all those sorts of things. It potentially will identify close relatives that you didn't know you had, or that you're looking for in some cases but only if they've taken a test too. It can back up your research, like the one I showed you there. You can see that my line and his line, they did match, and yes, we are genetically related. Um, together with other research, perhaps together with other people's DNA samples in your family, the more people you can get to test, the easier it is to pinpoint or, if you like, triangulate um, where your connection is. You might even be able to narrow down who the father of an illegitimate child is um, particularly perhaps if it's on that wide patrilineal line of fathers. Um, some of you might well have men in your family tree, for instance, who have a middle name. That potentially is the name of his biological father, but he was born um, before a marriage took place. It might be that if you take a test and compare it with a man with that surname, that there is a link somewhere, but it won't necessarily prove which one of that man's sons is the father of the person you're looking at. So at that point, you'd have to go away and look at the census, look at birth, marriage and death records, look at the jobs that the brothers did, who was in the right place at the right time um, to get perhaps your great-great-grandmother pregnant. So you're looking at lots of different things. Um, and it might provide clues about your ethnicity, um, but that is a developing area, and you get different results from different sites. What it can't do by itself is give you the exact date that your common ancestor was born, married or died. Um, it can't specify which particular ancestor you share, but you can work it out a lot of the time. Um, it can't prove a relationship unless you share your data. It can't show you which diseases that you're vulnerable to. Um, that would be done in a different way. And it can't provide all the answers or break all the brick walls. Um, but yet again, when you mix it with other research, you might well be able to do those things. Um, so my final thoughts on this, 
Are you prepared for the truth? Are you prepared to share your data, your family tree, your DNA? Have a look at all the different companies, all the different tests um, before you commit to that company. Who are they affiliated with? Which universities do they work with? What are they going to do with the data when they've got it? Think about what it is you want to know. If you're only interested in one particular part of your tree and that is on your mother's mother's mother line or your father's father's father line, perhaps that's the best test to take. Um, if not, then you might be looking at daughter's overall across the spectrum. I'm not going to recommend a company for you to go to, um, but I will recommend that you use the Heritage Centre here. We've got lots of books that you can borrow in this subject. Um, some of the writers that are really great are people like Debbie Kennett, people like Chris Pomeroy. Um, there are talks online from people like Michelle Leonard from Who Do You Think You Are this year, or Who Do You Think You Are Live. It was the last one this year, but those talks are up online so you can go and find them. Um, and of course, we've got access here to those traditional records that will work alongside your DNA. So there we are. I know that was a very quick counter through there. I hope you've all learned something, taken that away today. Um, there's a handout for you here if you'd like to take it with you. I've listed on there um, some really key websites that have got lots and lots of information about this, as well as links to um, the biggest market leaders um, who do the DNA testing as well. Um, we have got time for a few questions. If anybody's got any questions? Under <laughs> that does happen sometimes. <laughs> yes. yeah. We've traced two going back. I mean, we had a professional person do it for certain reasons. But um, there's one you were talking about the mother's, mother's, mother's line. Um, my mother's born in Glasgow, uh, and so was her mother. But I know there's. Uh, expressed. 
and it's just, um, I don't know if any of you during school, those um, four boxes, and you've got a capital T at the top and a little T, and then capital T and a little T down the side, and then the combination you get from your mother and father with a dominant gene is that if you've got a capital T at all, that's what's expressed, but you've still got the chance of getting a little T from both your mother and father, which means that you don't have the big nose, if that makes sense. Um, so, yes, it does in what's expressed, but actually in terms of the recombination part, I think that's probably more a case of just the way you cook your crumbles and which bits of DNA that you inherit. Um, but it might be worth having a look and seeing if there's more evidence than that that we're aware of. I was just going to mention this. Uh, it might be worth mentioning that the results that you get from, uh, from these uh, DNA companies, they're also they're constantly being updated and refreshed. More and more information goes on them. Uh, my mum and dad uh, both had theirs done with 23andMe yeah. about a year ago, and um, a year ago they didn't actually tell you a great deal about deep ancestry, but now there's loads of information on there. Uh, what percentage of DNA is Neanderthal? It tells you the percentage for that. Yeah. Um, it's, it's, um, it's worked out that my, uh, my father's mother and Jesse James, the American Admiral, have the same mitochondrial DNA. Yeah. So apparently I'm related to Jesse James. <laughs> 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 That's the truth part going in, isn't it? Yeah. Um, so yeah, we are all, if you think about it, only 20 generations ago, each one of us in this room had more than a million direct grandparents on that generation. And that's about 450 years ago, give or take. The population of the country then was only 3 million. So that's how related we all are, really, when it comes into it. And you might remember Benedict Cumberbatch did a, a speech at Richard III's reburial at Leicester Cathedral. And the newspapers all went um, very excited because he was related to Richard III. Um, and then in very small print at the bottom, they said, it's estimated 17 million people in the UK are related to Richard III. Um, so there's an awful lot of DNA that we do share, even in those. Um, but moving forward, there, I'm sure there'll be more and more things like that. They'll be able to tell you all kinds of things. So it's something to bear in mind when you're sharing your data with them, that the terms and conditions will say that we will use this for research. And you might well be very, very happy with that. But if you're not, just be aware what they're going to do with your data um, forever. Because once they've got it, they've got it. Um, and it's moving science forward in many ways, but it's also giving us Jesse James. <laughs> 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 Thank you very much.